So last week we were in Judges, and so the next book of the Bible that comes along uh, is Ruth. We're going to spend most of our time in Ruth today, because that's the book that we're going to be studying, Um, but I'd like to open us in Genesis 22, and I will set this up for a second. So this is an angel of the Lord talking to Abraham, and we're going to pick up here in verse 17. So this is Genesis 22, verse 17. It says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of the enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So it's a really great setting for our transition from basically like the depravity that we spent all of last weekend with judges, right? And it was a, it was a kind of a tough week to teach, maybe a tough week to go through as you, as you read up this week, but this week we get to experience something much lighter, but incredibly enriching with a lot of love and compassion that we see in Ruth. And so um, before we get into that, just to continue to offer you guys resources, as again, one of the goals is to improve biblical literacy of our series, right? And so one of the things that I use a lot in my message prep uh, and just when I want to spend time diving in is Blue Letter Bible. So you can get it uh, on the web. It's also an app on your phones. And I highly encourage you guys to check it out. Um, It does a great job of including multiple translations and lets you dive into um, some interlinear and commentaries right in there as well. And, And I really enjoy, there's a strong concordance in there. So if you Um, find yourself not always able to go to the big bookshelf and pull out your huge strongs, Um, you can get it right there digitally. And I think that's fun because I like everything in one convenient place. So plug for Blue Letter Bible. If you want to check that out, should be pretty easy to Google and use. Does this graphic look familiar from last week? Yes. Cool. Excellent. Great. Good. So one thing that I did differently today um, was I circled right here. And right here is a little heart, and it says, Ruth marries Boaz. And that is what we are going to be studying, and that gives us our setting for our book this week. So please indulge me and turn with me to Ruth, where we will spend basically all of our time today. And as we read Ruth 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And again, so that reinforces that we are during the time of Judges, and this is like the silver lining. Remember all of the despair and everything that we covered last week. This is the silver lining that we get to spend today on. So just a plug for if you guys were able to join us for Walk Through the Bible, um, yesterday it was a pretty awesome time. It struck me that as we go through this, It's like the 30,000-foot view, right? We're covering a book a Sunday. And if we did that, then so yesterday, in about three hours, we walked through the whole Old Testament. And then it moved from like the 30,000-foot view to like the International Space Station. And we're like, right? And so one of the things that we covered was it was, it closed with the same verse that we closed with in Judges, where it said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, except if you were there, how's it go? Except except Ruth, and we put our hand over our heart because Ruth is filled with compassion and love. And so that's, again, where we find ourselves today. So some, some common components as we've been covering these as we, as we walk through. So again, because we are in Judges, we're going to be at about 1150 
to uh, 1100 BC. The same story with the author goes as we were in Judges last week. So the author isn't explicitly mentioned by name, but because of the time period and we know how active Samuel was, the book is attributed to Samuel in authorship and that he wrote it at about 1050 because we can put some of that down because of the references that we will get to close with today and some of the genealogy that's there. And so that tells us that while it happened during the time of Judges, it was written just as the close of that time where we're getting into the unification and the king's period. And so that gives us our, our setting, if you will, and starts to help form our outline as well. And so Ruth is made up of four chapters. I looked at this, and I've been prepping for this, and I'm like, four chapters? This could be neat and just get a chance to overview a couple of chapters. Maybe a break from, we've been going through like, Deuteronomy and a whole Sunday, right? And, and all of these other books. I'm like, four chapters. This could be a great time to just take a breath. And then I realized, shamefully almost, like the awesome depth of the word and how Ruth, while four chapters in words, does an awesome job of linking through some of the stuff that we've been covering. So we're going to bring that all back in and try to cover it today in addition to Ruth. And so what we see here is we're going to spend just a couple of verses here for context in addition to, and we'll keep reading from verse 1 where we just were, and then we get some character introductions. And so there's really three key people in Ruth, uh, but I put in a fourth one there that I want us to pay attention to for a particular reason. And so we'll cover that. And then the, the latter half of Ruth really focuses on redemption. And the very first thing is a, is a, is a beautiful request for redemption, and an appeal almost, a very heartfelt appeal from Ruth. And then that answer comes in chapter 4 with the redemption in the close of our book and story. So let's dive in. So we just started reading in verse 1, and I'm going to keep reading here. We're going to pick up in verse 2. So the name of the man who we just read about was Elimelech, and the name of his wife's wife was Naomi. And the name of the two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were Ephrodites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So now, let's get our bearings a little bit. We're in Moab, not Judah anymore, because there was famine in the land. That's what we just read. And so, some context on Moab. If we go backwards now to Genesis, in chapter 19, at the, towards the end of that, we see the foundation of Moab. Moab was from the descendants of Lot. If that rings a bell, that's the nephew of Abraham, as he is coming and settling in the land of Canaan, there was a, maybe, the, maybe like before there was a dispute, there was like some elbowing between Lot and Abraham and their shepherds about the resources of the land, basically. And so Lot said, I will take this portion over here, and Abraham can continue to Canaan in the promised land. And so that sets us up for a map, because maps are helpful, visual guides, yes. And so here is Israel, and this is a subset, as you can see, Judah. And right here is the land of Moab and Ammon. These are particularly important to say that the founding of Moab and the surrounding countries was a little bit odd in the way that it happened. It's a similar story to what happened in our story of Ruth, where Lot had two daughters and their husbands died. And let's just say that through family... The line was continued, and there was a line of Moab, and there's a line of Ammon. 
there's some incest there that we'll just cover over for a second. Uh, but that's the way that the country of Moab or the region of Moab was settled. And so please keep that in your mind uh, as we think about some of the relationships that we'll hear today. So again, this is where this family is. We're talking about family, and I like to keep track of things. So I said, hey, as we go today, we'll build a family tree, because that seems helpful. And so I needed to do that, and so I thought if I'm doing it for me, I'll just share it with you guys, and you can come along for the journey. So we're going to, we just read in verse 2, and we identified Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons. As we keep reading, it says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons who took two Moabite wives, and their names were Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband and with two daughter-in-laws. Now, if we're thinking about the times that we're in and how generations are passed and how possessions are passed, this puts Naomi in a pretty tricky spot. So let's look at the roster list. She's not in her home country anymore. They had to flee, or they, they chose to flee for, for the sake of food and to keep from starving to go to Moab, Moab right? So they're, they're not in their home country anymore. And her husband and sons have just died. And with her now are two daughter-in-laws. And so Naomi here is left with a choice as the, the leader of this family now. And here's what she does. She heads back to Judah. She's heard that the famine is over and that there's probably going to be good reception for her there. She has family there, so she can go back to them. But the question kind of still remains of what Orpah and Ruth are going to do. And so this is where we kind of close our initial context and we find ourselves and we're going to start to dig in to our characters. And so we've gotten to know Naomi a little bit, but we're going to learn, like, not just her name, right, but who she is and a little bit about her. So let's dig in here in verse 14. And so this is, this picks up a couple of verses later, and it's kind of the closure of what I just mentioned about, which is Naomi kind of requesting, basically, uh, that her two daughter-in-laws go. And she's just told them before this, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, go, Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. Now, please remember that phrase. She's assigning this to both of them, that they have dealt kindly with the dead and with her. And then we read in verse 14 here. It says, And they lifted up their voices together and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah has chosen to basically take Naomi's suggestion and said, I'm going to go ahead back to my people, to my family, and we will be no more. So I kind of colored her out here, if you will. But Ruth, but Ruth, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord do so to me, and more so, if anything but death parts me from you. So now we're learning that Naomi has some, compa some compassion 
for these two ladies, and she's requested what she thinks is the best thing for them to do. And one has, has taken that and has left, but Ruth has said, I am not leaving you, basically, if, unless I die. Right? And so that's the difference here when we look at, and I'm going to jump here to our character introduction. So when we look at Naomi, sorry, before we get to Naomi, let's look at verse 20 and 21. This is when they are returning to Judah, and some of her family sees her, and they recognize her. It's only been about 10 or so years, it says, uh, that they were over in Moab, and she's coming back, and they said, Naomi, and listen to what she does, and this is going to be an interesting look at perspective. She says, do not, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And so I changed her name up on our our outline to Mara. Mara means bitterness or bitter. Do you guys remember we had, I thought, a really great demonstration, and I appreciated the help from Josh and Stephen last week, right? Where we looked at an immovable God and, and how that perspective was extremely important when it looked at things like the hand of God was against them and that sort of thing. What Naomi has done is not so much turned against God, but her perception is indeed that God has turned against her, and she's limited in time, right? So where, where Israel before in Judges really turned because they didn't know a God, and they turned against him, Naomi has this time kind of stuck in her mind, and this promises that she feels like she's owed, and she is hesitant to say that right now they're the way that she thought it would go. It's not going at all. So she is bitter. And so that is where we kind of get to Naomi and a, and a little dig in. For all intents and purposes, again, as we talked about, it seems like Naomi has nothing left. She actually has the negative because she has people that are dependent on her. And she has no husband and no sons to provide, but yet she has not even just herself to take care of, but now a single daughter-in-law. And now Orpah. So look at Orpah and Ruth, and watch if we go back to the very end here of chapter 1. The same distinction is given to both Ruth and Orpah, right? It says that you have dealt kindly with me, but what's the difference? Orpah leaves, and Ruth does not. Orpah basically says, even though I agree that I've dealt kindly with you, I'm frankly, going to desert you, and I'm going to go back to my people. And that's important, to my people. So Orpah still had this idea in her head that the Moabites were still her people, and that's the difference with Ruth's response, right? Ruth has fully committed to not just the family of Naomi, but the Israelite people, even though she just got to the land, right? She committed to this before they got to Israel, and she's not just committed to the family. She's not just committed to Israel. What did she say in this amazing statement? So she says, no, no longer am I a Moabite. I am now fully aligned and in your family. And here we go, Naomi. We are together. And so now we meet our fourth individual. And so that's why I wanted to spend some time with Orpah because there's a distinction where they both had the same opportunity, right? That's what I want you guys to catch. They both had the same opportunity, 
But the responses are very different because of the heart and the compassion behind them of Orpah versus Ruth. So Ruth and Naomi are now in Israel and they're hungry. They need some food. And so Ruth is sent out. Basically, Naomi tells her um, and has, has brought her up. This is some David inference here. But if you look at the language here, I don't think it's at all a stretch. Ruth is saying at the beginning of of chapter 2 here, it says, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after them, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said, go, my daughter. Here's what we're looking at. They're hungry. They're in Israel. And here's a bit of context for you. This is where we're going to start to look back and weave in some really awesome stuff. So this is one of the points that I like to go to where I think the law really shows how it dives deep into compassion. So this is Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10, and it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to the edges. Basically, if you have this so big, don't worry about catching every little last flake or fleck, right? You shall not strip your vineyard bare either, neither shall the fallen grapes of the vineyard. But it it has a reason, and it's right there. It says, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. He's instructing, God is instructing his people, even in farming, how they should be looking out. Do you guys remember the verses that we started with? What are the Israelites to be? They are to bless the nations. In any circumstance, there's an opportunity to, and God's building it right here in the even harvest. And so I think through some really great discipleship, Naomi has made Ruth aware of this and said, go partake in this. And so she does. And so she runs into or goes into the field of a gentleman by the name of Boaz, who we're going to hear a lot more of as we keep reading. So now we're picking up in chapter 7 as she has been in the field of Boaz all day. And I'll read a little bit before this. Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Boaz's first introduction to Ruth is indeed who she is and where she's from. He's immediately given some of the awesome character that she has and that she is following within the provision of the law and has worked extremely hard. So she has come, it says, and continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So she's not just there like, I'm just going to pick this and eat it. She is working hard. Why? Because she's going to take this and go back to Naomi. So now in the end, what has already started to happen is instead of Naomi being in what I would say is like a negative, because she has what should be someone that she needs to take care of, now Ruth is starting already to take care of Naomi. And so then Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one. Be keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men? not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. 
none of that was necessary for Boaz to utter. He could have just said, hey, cool, you keep working. Sounds good. Right? He sees Ruth and is starting and liking to form a relationship with her because he sees who she is and he appreciates that. And it's going to continue to grow. That's going to be beautiful. And then she, Ruth, fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and the full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Boaz is speaking a blessing over Ruth, having just met her in person, but already have heard of the faithfulness that she has had to not just Naomi, right? But have come to a people that you did not know before, right? Again, she now is saying, I am an Israelite. She's adapting that and taking that on. So that sets a pretty good tone from, hey, I'm not sure how we're going to eat today. I'm going to try to go grab something from the corner of a field and see if I have enough to bring home, and maybe we can put something together. I don't know. We'll, you know, each eat a fleck or two. What Boaz ends up doing is he goes through, and I'm going to abbreviate this some, but he goes to his reapers and he says, hey, basically, like, don't do anything wrong, but you could be a little careless, maybe even drop some stuff, kind of right where Naomi, or Ruth is coming along. So she ends up with what should have been like a meager harvest of handful for the day. She walks out with something like a five-gallon bucket of grain for the day. And where you should have been able to, sure, as a worker, been able to gather something like that, to glean from the corners of the field should not have been able to produce that. So Boaz is, again, he, he stated that blessing over her, and now he is pouring into this family. And this is where it gets really neat. So Ruth comes home and tells Naomi about this awesome day. And she says this, And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, May you be blessed, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. So let's fill out a little bit about Boaz before we get into another neat uh, little divergence that we're going to go into. So um, we will see a little bit later, but we can already see as Boaz interacts with his workers that he has, I think, really solid rapport with his workers. And I, I think that speaks to a testament of his character. And it's interesting, too, that he is just not no one. We just were told in verse 20 that he is one of the redeemers that Naomi identifies. And we're going to build what that is right now, but I just wanted us to understand a little bit about Boaz and his character, and we've already seen how benevolent of a guy he is. So this idea of a redeemer, what does that mean? Again, this is, this is neat where we get to go back to Leviticus and unpack that some and understand that. So we can, we can just read right through Ruth, but let's go backwards and, and dive in to, this is Leviticus 25, 25. It says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. 
hang with me. We're going to go through a couple of these. So the context here is that there is, in the law, a framework of how to redeem the land. There's also a framework of how to redeem the people. As we keep reading in Leviticus 25, even the same chapter, it says, then after he, sold, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. This is talking about someone that was, has hit a tough spot or circumstances unknown and has been in a position of slavery. And it's laying out that they can be moved from that position of slavery or, or destitute into and fully redeemed. It says one of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or cousin. They're basically laying out like, look first closely as you can and then go from there. But through family should be able to redeem or maybe he has through really hard work, there is an opportunity that someone can redeem themselves. And then here to add to the land and the people that can be redeemed, this idea of redeeming a lineage. So again, as we talk back from the beginning of where we started today, right? The lineage of the people of God is to be cast throughout and a blessing to all people. So it is important that as Israel as a country grows, that the lines remain continual. And so built into the culture and the laws of the people of Israel then is the idea to not just redeem the land, because, but we don't have time for today, is the idea of a Sabbath, right? And the land has Sabbath, where everything returns to the family that it was assigned to in the beginning. But the idea is this, that with the lineage is if a brother dwells together and one of them dies and has no sons, the wife of the dead man shall not marry outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her, take her as his wife, and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed in the name of the family's dead brother, and his name will not be blotted out in Israel. Again, so that line is to continue please keep that statement in mind. It is important that that line continues. That's, we're going to close with, that's one of our closing points. So we've met our, our main cast of characters. We took a quick detour with Orpah, but we've been looking at Naomi or Mara as she is now going by because of the bitterness that she finds herself in. And we got to unpack some of the compassion that Ruth has, and we've already seen the benevolence of Boaz. And so now we're going to look at this unique circumstance. Remember when we just read in verse 20, Naomi had identified Boaz as one of their family's redeemers. And that sparks an idea with Naomi that she's basically going to ask Ruth to consider. And it is that Ruth, in, in one of the nicest and roundabout but pretty straightforward ways that I think you're going to see in the Bible pretty much proposes to Boaz. Hold on here, we're going to read it. So this is Naomi speaking, and she's giving some instruction. And again, just think about the fact that how this speaks to the character of everyone involved. Naomi continues to pour into Ruth. Ruth continues to listen. So she's showing, she's already shown how compassionate she is, but she's also showing how teachable she is, and how much she is leaning into the discipleship of this older woman. And Ruth, sorry, Naomi says this, uh, but when he lies down, the he here that she's speaking of is Boaz. 
lies down, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So Ruth listens. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Ruth, Boaz was working hard all day, right? Functionally falls asleep on the threshing floor, which is not for the faint work, not for the faint at heart. They're separating out what they've just harvested the day prior. And so he is conked on the threshing floor. Ruth walks up and places herself, just as Naomi instructed, at his feet. And she waits. Have you guys ever had, like maybe if you're a parent or you have someone uh, that sometimes you live with, you ever sleep? And you just, you could be sound asleep, right? And you just like, that feeling, it's like, I feel like someone's watching me. Right? And it's like a little creepy and unnerving all at the same time. So imagine that after a hard day's work, and that's the attitude, and then you wake up and look down, and there's someone laying on your feet, like a pillow, like that's comfortable and not disgusting, because you've been working all day, and your feet are nasty, and that's okay. So I was thinking about, like, my wife, who doesn't like feet the whole time, and I'm like, man, this is not for her story. So that's what the position that Ruth has put herself in, and Boaz, it's, you know, it's pitch dark out, right? He doesn't know what's going on. There's just someone at his feet. He says, who are you? Holy cow, what's just happened? And she answered and said, I am Ruth. So now he knows. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer. She is identified face to face with this man that she knows who he is. and She's asking him to take his role, to take on the function of redeeming Ruth and the family. Now, if we think back to that Deuteronomy that we just read, you see how basically Ruth has just proposed to Boaz. So let's see what Boaz has to say. And he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Uh, this is just cool. So, so Boaz here is saying that, hey, I acknowledge that not only did I enjoy our first meeting and our interaction, you continually, woman, impress me. And I like a lot what I see. Maybe a bit forward of a question. Do not fear, for I will do what you have asked. I'm game, he says. For all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Here's a homework assignment for you guys. And if you want to, it's pretty awesome. You can include your Blue Letter Bible resource that you just learned about. Look up in Ruth 3.11, that worthy woman, and you will see the depths of the compliment that he just gave Ruth. Because you will see that this word unpacks into virtue and is tied to so many of the heroes of the Old Testament. And is the same word used as the Proverb 31 woman that we learn about later. That's what he has just told Ruth. He said, I know who you are. The whole town does. You are a worthy woman. And so chapter 3, we've been through it. Here's an image of a threshing floor, again, where we find our star-crossed lovers gazing into each other's eyes and feet. And so here's a model. If, if you find yourselves 
in the near future thinking about proposals or something like that, I would encourage you, consider a threshing floor and a late night circumstance. I, I, it worked out for Ruth and Boaz. I, just try it. I'm just, just a suggestion. I'm, so there is something that we will cover over briefly, but it's this idea that Boaz is so awesome of a man that he knows who Ruth is, but he says this in, in the, the, some of the gaps that we're, we're going, glancing over. He says, there is another redeemer that I actually know of that's closer than me in lineage. And as an honest man, basically, he says he needs to step into that role or deny it before I assume it. And that's where we, we break into with chapter 4. And if you'll allow me, and you don't really have to allow me, I'll summarize and you can check me and read later. If you read the beginning of chapter 4, you can see that the Redeemer that was closer, he says that he's not able to. It's basically introduced to him the idea, and he thinks he's down for it when it's the idea of just the land. But then when Ruth is put into kind of the deal, if you will, for summarization. Then he says, ah, uh, no. He says he's not able to. And please remember also that is important. The Redeemer needs to be able to. So this could have, there could have been a number of reasons. It's not stated in the text why. So maybe he wasn't comfortable with that, or maybe he wasn't able to, as, as the text says, because that would, remember how this is all about lineage. The whole idea of the Redeemer is about lineage. And so what that means is that if he has sons and daughters, that could mess up the lineage and he would not be able to take on that role of redeemer. So for whatever reason that we're not totally sure of, that closer redeemer has passed. And sure enough, Boaz gets to step into the role that he seems pretty set for. So here it is. This is the other redeemer. It says, I cannot redeem it. And so Boaz, and this is now Ruth 4.10, and he says, Ruth the Moabite, so he's first talking about the land uh, of Elimelech, who is, again, the, the patriarch that has passed away. That was Naomi's husband. And it says, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That is, the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from the, day, from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses today. He's, he's talking to the people of the city that he lives in. He has fully taken on now with joy and a public statement, hey, I am redeeming this family. And so here now we're going to update our charting. So Boaz is married Ruth. And look at this. Look at how awesome this is. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women of the town, remember who introduced, and Naomi said, no, I'm, I am Mara. So now the women of the town are talking to Naomi, and it says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. So Boaz is that redeemer that they're speaking of, right? And so Naomi resumes her name of Naomi again and shakes off the Mara bitterness. And Boaz and Ruth, they name their son Obed. But the verses keep going. Obed has a son, 
his name? Jesse. This might be starting to sound familiar. Jesse has a son. His name? You got it. It's a great name, isn't it? I like it. His name is David. Yes, this is King David. The lineage that it was so important that didn't get blotted out that we talked about. Remember, that was when we picked up in Deuteronomy 25 and we reached back to that and pulled in here the importance of that. This is the lineage of King David. This is the lineage of King David. This is the same lineage that will give us Jesus. So this idea of Redeemer, is this Kingsman Redeemer, is also our scarlet thread for today when we look at Ruth. And the idea here is that the lineage, again, of Elimelech and Boaz, I mentioned the city earlier. The city is Bethlehem. The thing that puts the lineage of Jesus, the event, if you will, that puts the lineage of Jesus in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies is taking place right here where Boaz, as a person of Bethlehem, when the census will be taken, they need to go back to where their family is from, and it puts them in Bethlehem. And then the offspring, right? We already saw it took place. The offspring is Obed, and then David, and then down the line, Jesus. And you know, this is just, I mean, this is just some cool stuff. So in Matthew, there are two women that are named in the lineage of Jesus. And we just covered the second one. The first one was Rahab. The second one, Ruth. If you guys watched it happen, neither one of those women are Israelites by birth. The line of our Redeemer, the line of Christ, has come through women who were not Israelites by birth, but rather adopted into the faith. They have said, I commit to being an Israel. I commit to being one of God's chosen people. And then there's this idea of the Redeemer and ransoming with a price, right? This was not a transaction of just like stand up and be like, yeah, I'll take it. There was a price associated with this redemption, both for the land and the enslaved people. Remember when we looked back at Leviticus? That's what it said. It said that if whoever the closest relative is able to, meaning if he has the capability and the funds to do it, that he can pay the price of redemption for the land, or for the enslaved person. And I had to sneak it in, but it makes the slide a little busy, but it's too cool not to pass up. So we had times throughout today in our story that we made notes. They were that the Redeemer needed to be able to, he needed to be free, and he needed to be willing to take on his role as the Kingsman Redeemer. And here's your homework for this week. I'm going to cheat and help you guys, and I'm going to read John 10, 18, because I just can't not. It's too awesome. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is Jesus talking about his life. Says, I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is our kingsman redeemer, 
is not only able to, not only is he free to because of the sinless life that he lived, but he is fully willing and chooses to redeem. I'm going to close with going back to Ruth and reading that uh, chapter 4, verse 14 again. And just to help you with a perspective that you may find yourselves in as you hear this story and say, well, this all sounds great, David, but right now things might be a little tough. This is 414. It says, The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. That's a statement that is absolutely and purposely given just to Ruth, right there in that instance. But it is absolutely applicable that there is a Redeemer for not just Ruth in Boaz, but for us as we weave this scarlet thread through the whole book of the Bible. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for your amazing provision. God, your, your redeemer, your kingsman redeemer that you provided to each and every one of us. And God, how awesome it is that the price of redemption was so willingly paid by Jesus. God, I thank you for the story, the silver lining that we got to read today in Ruth of a time where so much depravity was going on and God, there was two great people and a a family really that continued to seek after you, to know your ways and your laws and the compassion and the provision that was in them. And God, to follow them and to walk them out. God, may we take that on today when we recognize the role that your law, your compassion, your provision has in our lives as well. Amen.